You're listening to KJ Recaps. Welcome back to KJ Recaps. We are here recapping Westworld season two, episode four, "The Riddle of the Sphinx." I am Jess. I am Kim. Uh, so, Kim, I actually at one point while watching this episode had to double check that it was in fact just episode four. I felt like it could have been like episode seven or eight of this season. It It does feel like we're getting payoffs a little bit earlier this season than we were in season one. So at this point in the season in, in, um, season one there were a lot of theories there was bernard as a host there was william is the man in black and um you know so we like we had a good idea of sort of what was going on but the show didn't confirm it until the last couple of episodes but we're getting some big confirmation of theories you know relatively early in the season at episodes like three and four and uh it's amazing. Like there's so much more to reveal, but it is really cool to have some of this stuff pay off so soon. That's right. And I think the fact that it is means I think that some of the bigger theories that you maybe think, you know, the show doesn't have room for in one season. um, I think after seeing where we got in four episodes and the size, I mean, this was always going to be a supersized episode, but like they can do a lot. Uh, We've, you know, in X number of episodes to come that a lot of ground could be covered. So uh, we are of course going to dive in and recap scene by scene I did want to start off the top by saying Laura thank you so much for the amazing note Laura sent us a note last season and then followed up again this season and miraculously understood our random Canadian East Coast music reference so that was like super cool that we had kind of thrown into things (laughs) she has a daughter Um, who has a love of Alan Doyle and Great Big Sea and everything Newfoundland and we appreciate that Laura and Emily you guys are amazing Thank you again. That is amazing. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And please do feel free to drop us a note at kjrecaps.com slash feedback. We always love to hear from you, uh, whether it's show related or anything else that you want to discuss. And the other thing that I will say off the top is I am still recording from away, so I apologize. Kim is is editing these episodes, and thank you, Kim, (laughs) and is trying to make them sound as good as possible. But, you know, uh, we're not in our normal, like, microphone sound booth setup, so... I apologize in advance. Why don't I dive into um, this episode? So kind of like we've been doing just a really quick recap and then we're going to dive into the big discussion items of which there are many. Um, So first of all, Bernard and Elsie. So good to have Elsie back. Oh my God. I'm so happy to have her back. Like seriously, I had no doubt that she was still alive and well out there somewhere because I I did not think that she was just like killed off screen, never to be seen again. But still, I am very excited to have that, you know, actually confirmed and have her back. Exactly. And that zombie Clementine drops Bernard off uh, at the cave where Elsie's been uh, hidden away. They ultimately discover um, another underground lab that's full of dead men and one of those creepy white plastic hosts. They also come across the 149th iteration of Jindelos, which we're going to talk about as well. Um, And we have Bernard flashing back throughout this um, and him remembering putting together a consciousness on Ford's behalf. Um, in terms of the man in black and Lawrence, they go back to Lawrence's hometown. They're captured by our buddy Major Craddock and the remaining confederados. Uh, man in black does strike a deal with him, but ultimately can't seem to stand how he treats 
that Major Craddock treats Lawrence's wife and daughter, uh, which we're going to talk more about uh, as well. And so he blows him up. Uh, Jim Delos, we find out that he did die of a rare illness. This is my favorite storyline of this episode. Um, he goes through multiple, multiple iterations while living in this lab as they try to restore his consciousness that ultimately keeps failing as his brain, uh, is rejecting first his body and then ultimately reality. And then finally, Emily, uh, Grace from last episode has this brief interaction with Stubbs as they're both captives of the ghost nation. Of course, she washed up on shore uh last episode um and she demonstrates a strong comprehension of the lakota language which the ghost nation uh is speaking and she is ultimately able to escape which is of course how we discover that she is in fact the daughter of the man in black so dun, 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 who wears a gray hat <laughs> which was a nice touch <laughs> that's a great pickup exactly how ambiguous a little bit of both worlds there <laughs> yeah right. so like all all in all like what are your impressions of this episode I thought this was a great episode there's a lot of talk about this was Lisa Joy's directorial debut on the show she is mm-hmm. of course a co-creator um, of the show with Jonathan Nolan and I I think you really noticed her unique directorial style like visually the show was very different it was also longer which gave it more kind of I think cinematic feel I think those two things combined are kind of especially in the rewatch I'm like you know felt like a movie yeah um and and I loved actually you know this is not my original comment but when I saw it I was like yes it's like this is the first time I believe in Jimmy Simpson's transferring to Ed Harris like I totally buy it now like yeah it was excellent what do yeah, you think? I agree. I, I like from the very first sort of like unbreaking shot that does like a full 360 of yes. this like fishbowl that uh, James oh, Delos yes. is living in. James Delos is host, I should say, uh, that it just in an unbreaking shot just does the whole sweep um, of the room and kind of follows him around in all of his sort of daily routines and stuff. It was just, you know, really setting a cool tone from the beginning that I think really kind of paid off over and over again. And then um, as much as I do really enjoy Dolores and Maeve as characters, it was kind of like different to have a break from both of their storylines and have, uh, you know, some other, like it was very Man in Black and Bernard heavy and uh, I didn't uh, I didn't mind that a bit it was like a a bit of a change of pace and I thought that it was really great end to end I think that's that's a great point and um you're right like we sat out a lot of characters um in this episode and then like the great thing is that you combine it with like Elsie's just total badassery I mean this woman was just Caught while she was investigating another creepy location, <laughs> locked up in a cave with a bucket and some protein bars, and now is just like armed with a shotgun, just gonna go right head first into danger yet again. Like I just love her. I'd be like, no way am I gonna open up that door. Like I don't want to know what it is. I agree with Bernard. Like maybe we're just better off not knowing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you know that is not Elsie's style. She is going in guns a blazing. Not so Elsie's style. That's amazing. Totally. Um, okay, so we're gonna go through you know a fair number of discussion questions here. But I don't know. I thought maybe I think we have a lot of theories. <laughs> we kind of mentioned before we started recording, Kim, that we're at the point where like 
the theories are just building and building. And while you're totally right, we're getting some answers. We still have more questions. I know. <laughs> it point. is one question answered and five so, new questions that take its place. Exactly. So we're going to, we're trying to tackle kind of the top things that are coming to our mind and are certainly coming to the forefront of what we're reading. And this is just what we're choosing to focus on. I mean, this podcast could be a day long, really. Um, so to try and keep it at that under 16 minute point, we are going to hit the high note. So I'm going to start off by saying, um, you know, whose consciousness was Bernard making in the lab? Like, who do we think? And we think, so we've seen him steal the little consciousness ball slash consciousness nugget, <laughs> whatever. Um, we know that there was also a body, a host body being built last season, right? And so, like, maybe first you think that those two things go together and be who do you think it could be? Honestly, I think that um, I'm not, I don't know who, who I actually think it could be. I do think I'm leaning towards it being Arnold. Um, so like the, there are three predominant theories that are making their way around Reddit. So right. the, the first is that um, the consciousness uh, in the red ball <laughs> is Arnold's. Uh, as a side note, FYI, um, I did read in a Vanity Fair article that we already knew that the white um, control units that are in the host's uh like that we've seen already, those are called pearls. I don't know where we got that information. I got it from Reddit, but I don't know where like the original Redditor got that information from. But we talked about that already and the significance potentially of like the pearly gates and whatever. So I did read in a Vanity Fair article, uh, and I'm not sure where their source is, but that these red balls are called chestnuts. So um, oh. control units is what both of them are called, both Elsie and um Bernard call them control units in this uh, in this episode, but chestnuts and pearls right. are the difference between the two. And I will direct your attention to season one, episode two, called Chestnut. Uh, more to discuss on that in a moment. <laughs> well done. <laughs> so nice. yeah. yeah, that was that's. I mean, that was a relatively easy one. Once I knew it was called a chestnut, I think that many people pointed out that uh, that that episode has the same name. So okay, so. Theory number one is that this chestnut belongs to Arnold and that the Bernard, quote unquote, who wakes up on the beach in current timeline is not, in fact, Bernard or a second Bernard in another host or, you know, like Bernard in a loop or whatever. But it is Arnold's consciousness in a replica Arnold body and that all of the... um, sort of cognitive dissonance and whatever that he is experiencing is not because of being shot in the head because he doesn't have the scar. It is in fact sort of the deterioration of a similar kind that we're seeing Jim uh, Delos experience in this episode that he is, you know, sort of deteriorating as he is confronted with a reality that his consciousness can't tolerate. So that I think is a compelling theory that I am leaning towards. Uh, The other two dominant ones are that it is Ford and that it is a young uh, William. So that one is where the chestnut kind of relevance comes into play because season one, episode two entitled chestnut is when we meet William for the first time. 
So that theory is that ultimately the man in black will confront a younger version of himself in some way, you know, which ultimately kind of goes back to young Ford robot who's telling the man in black that the ending is at the beginning of this like game that he's playing whatever so that's a compelling one too i'm less inclined to think that it's ford i'm not even really entertaining that one so those are the predominant three theories what are your thoughts jess interesting um i think the arnold one has a lot of merit the william one i struggle with what the kind of like long run is because like where i was kind of going with that one is that it would give william a chance to kind of redo the life that he really took a hard left turn and went terribly wrong um, at some point, obviously, but then that doesn't make any sense. So I just, I don't understand like confronting young William to what end, you know, it worked. um, Not that it's the same thing that having Bernard stand in for Arnold could no one had met Arnold, but everyone knows what young William looks like. Like he can't just kind of come in and take over. I don't know. That probably doesn't make any sense, but I, I don't know kind of, what the purpose is. And then I am struggling with this idea that it could be Ford simply because I find Ford is controlling so many strings in the park right now. And I don't understand how he's doing that. If his consciousness is not somehow being represented in some way. Um, Like if I don't, so my, my reason for thinking of this is like Teddy, I think as we discussed last episode, that Teddy's decision to let major Craddock and the other Confederados go was a possible, you know, uh, example of actual consciousness where he made that decision. Um, whereas, you know, Dolores might still be following a storyline, but that decision to do that led major Craddock and the other confederados to be in the town where the men in black ended up like things are having to move at such like complicated adjustments. And of course the man in black needed to be in that town to hear, you know, the message from Lawrence's daughter. Like, it just feels like someone is probably like, still tinkering right and the reason why they're in that town at all is because the railroad tracks now lead in the wrong direction they're leading west instead of north in a very gruesome way (laughs) oh yeah 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 um but yeah yeah. i mean it does definitely feel like there is uh sort of an invisible hand that is orchestrating all of this and i think that that is I definitely think that that is the case. I think that Ford is orchestrating a lot of this, but it's just a matter of whether your theory that he is currently, you know, making these moves or whether everything was pre-planned in the storyline that he had uploaded before he his death. Um, you know, I don't know. I did see it suggested that he might have uploaded his consciousness to the mesh network which is right exactly like is it just is it more that his consciousness is existing outside of a physical being i mean you know there is always a huge hope in me that anthony hopkins is going to make a return i think that's part of the reason why i like this theory i just would like really love for him to uh make another appearance in the show but um i don't know it just like there's there's a lot of reference that this is ford's game remember when we talked in season one about the the potential of there being like a ghost in the machine or whatever, where uh, there was like, you know, what we assumed to be Arnold's voice that was actively speaking to Dolores and getting her to, you know, to move back towards the maze and to, you know, get out of her bed at night. You know, maybe, maybe that is 
Ford's consciousness in the mesh network. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, yeah, maybe it's just enough that he is able to, you know, consciously make decisions or maybe the game is able to, you know, know what it's trying to accomplish and, and adjust things. It just, it feels like, I just think it's really interesting that Major Craddock is who intervened here when I just, you know, I felt like Teddy's decision was a glimmer of of actual consciousness. And then the more you see people... Okay, okay, so can I... This kind of relates into it. But Bernard, like, who is he acting on behalf of? Like, do we think that... So I know there's, like, a theory in here about timelines, so we can get to that too. But at the end of this episode, you know, he... Elsie asks for a commitment that he's not going to hurt her and he's going to tell nothing but the truth. And then, of course, we find out that it was him who was responsible for killing the men in the lab. And he is like, yeah, no, nothing more to add. You know, like he just decides to not uh, tell her, even if that's when he has that revelation. Like, is he still acting on behalf of Ford or is it... um, Is this his own decision? Like he said, he's trying to be like his own person and decide who he wants to be. Well, I mean, if that if he is still still following a narrative that uh, that Ford is dictating, then it isn't conscious. And I think that the same could be said of Dolores. If Dolores is somehow still um, doing Ford's bidding, um, you know, she is of the impression that she is acting of her own free will. But we have seen plenty of examples most recently with like Maeve and Hector talking to Sizemore where, you know, Hector's like, you don't know me. And then goes on to recite words that are scripted for him that, you know, like they don't at this point know whether they are, you know, uh, acting of their own free will or if they're acting based on programming. So it's a good question. Um, I kind of like read that at a surface level to just be self-preserving that Bernard didn't want to give Elsie any additional reasons to not trust him and whatever, (laughs) but maybe it does uh, make sense that way too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's what I I thought that too. It's like, of course you wouldn't be, you'd be like, of course I'm not going to hurt you again. By the way, I'm responsible for everyone's death in this lab, but like from (laughs) now on, (laughs) Yes. I promise that no one else is going to die. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's very true. It just like, I mean, he's just so hard to read, um, you know, and intentionally. So it's it's can be a real kind of tricky one. But OK, so yes. what else, maybe since we're on this line, what about the um, the timeline? You know, Bernard actually tells us that his memories are floating around on you know, established to any kind of timeline. I know. I mean, Um, oh my God, this is like the Westworldiest mindfuck. Like (laughs) now we're in Westworld season one territory. So, I mean, based on my best understanding of the various theories is that, um, okay. So in like, just, just talking about Bernard, in that cave lab, which I think is a different cave lab than the one that he was in with Charlotte. I'm not sure. I agree. Unless something dramatic changed in the layout. Yeah. Right. So in terms of what was shown in this episode, I believe that the theory is there's three timelines shown. There is the um, however long ago that Bernard was um, doing Ford's bidding when he goes in, prints the um, control unit uh, for some unknown person, and then 
um, orchestrates the murder of everyone who's in there. And then timeline two is his um, experiences with Elsie. And then there is a third timeline where he is by himself and he is so... When he's there right. by himself, he's remembering his time there with Elsie. And when he's there with Elsie, he's remembering the timeline that he was there at Ford's bidding. Um, so uh, there's, uh, I mean, I don't really understand the various timelines more than that, except that some people are thinking that when Clementine drags him up to the cave, he's in fact coming to an empty cave. Uh, I don't know. I think the timeline fits that Clementine drops him off and it is actually Elsie there. So, I mean, this is all kind of getting into very muddled territory. I love this thing where, you know, what we saw happen to Elsie, we thought was really um, in season one, you know, antagonistic or evil or whatever. Uh, And now see it completely differently where it was Ford protecting her from the shit show that was about to go down. So she like, Safely sat in a cave, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, with some protein bars in a bucket. And then Clementine delivered. So Clementine kept Bernard's, the one person who would be able to help Bernard, you know, physically and otherwise, um, is perfectly there. So I think that, like, the Clementine-Elsie reunion is really integral to the the plot unless she delivered him twice or something right yeah no for sure I think that that makes sense I agree that I think that immediately following this shootout at the fort that you know Bernard ends up there with Elsie he does still have the scar on his head he I feel like that timeline does match up um and so in terms of how long Elsie has been in that cave it seems like she's only been there a few days so like okay I did not see this myself but I did read on reddit that some people were able to determine from the tablets between the tablet that was used I think at the time uh, uh that um, older William, like essentially man in black age, William visited Jim Delos for the last time and then chose not to destroy him at the end. And then a tablet that was shown when Elsie and Bernard was there, that two weeks have passed between those two in- events. So I was not able to find that myself, but that is what I read on Reddit. So if anybody has like specifics or um, like a timestamp that we could refer to, that'd be awesome. I didn't see pictures. But so ultimately what people are talking about is that potentially the man in black visits Delos for the last time two weeks um, before Elsie and Bernard go there. And then he immediately leaves Jim Delos and then goes into the park for his big quest, i.e. beginning of season right. one. And then... Yes. Two weeks later that the man in black has been in the park is the massacre of the board members. And then that's the timeline that we're living out with Elsie and Bernard and Dolores and Charlotte Hale and everybody. And then two weeks after that is the t- the most recent timeline with Bernard with no scar, potentially Arnold, Stubbs, Strand, right. etc. So somewhere in between the, you know, the like the first two weeks between Man in Black visiting Jem Delos and the massacre, like somewhere in there is when Bernard would have printed off that control unit. Yes, although it could have been even 
I, I was actually going to say that that was actually quite close to kidnapping Elsie, like quite close to the end of everything. You know, like I do think that the consciousness probably went into the body post that was being printed in the final episodes of season one in the secret Ford lab. And so if, you know, you think that those, the chestnut, the pearl and the host were all kind of being united towards the end of the episode, sorry, end of the season, then, um, I, to me, that was where that was quite close because those bodies don't seem to have like, you know, we actually saw a degradation of the bodies after two weeks of, of course they were in the hot sun, but you know what I mean? Like the show showed us what happened to the like decomp on those bodies. These ones still look, you know, pretty, pretty fresh. fresh. So it's it's only been maybe a few days since, yeah, Bernard did that. And then Elsie's kidnapping was, I mean, it gets messed up in that timeline where it's like it feels like it was days and days ago, but it really wasn't. She really only spent, you know, 24 to 48 hours in a cave. Um, so it hasn't been the long period of time that it initially felt because we've gone so long without her. (laughs) Right. And I mean, like, so at this point in the terms of the amount of time that has passed between when the massacre was and when Bernard finds her in the cave, I mean like that, it's only been like a day or something. Right. Right. Exactly. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like a couple of days since Elsie was taken and stashed there and then like a day since everything went to shit. Uh, yeah, it's like it's a much shorter timeline than it feels when you're watching it. Of course, we have like 35 years of history that we're watching in like in the whole show. But like <laughs> from the time that the man in black starts his quest to now, it's been a relatively short amount of time for sure. It really has been. It's easy to kind of miss that. And also it really helps, I think, speak to the immersion of the park. You know, because you're living in the park 24 hours a day, it feels like, I mean, these aren't storylines anymore. I loved Elsie's moment where she was like trying to come to grips with the fact that Bernard's a host and she's like, but you have a kid and a wife and a backstory, you know, like as she's saying it, she realizes how messed up that is to use that as your confirmation that someone's a person, you know, you program these guys to have realistic black backstories and then. Like, given the magnitude of that reveal, I thought she took it pretty, pretty well. She's a champ. <laughs> but Completely. I mean, like... Your boss, for X number of years, has been a host. No problem. Let's move right. on. I mean, like, that is, uh, <laughs> that's pretty crazy. But I mean, Elsie is also someone she says in this. She's like, I've always trusted code more than I've trusted people. So I guess I love if anybody is going to take it in stride, I guess it would be Elsie. Um, but yeah, okay, so... I mean, a lot of questions still about what's going on with Bernard, obviously. Um, It's so fun to think about, but like normally I have like pretty strong opinions about like, here's what I think is happening. And of course I am very seldom right. (laughs) But um, in this one, I'm like, I just have no, I just have no idea. Um, Okay. So why don't we switch now, Kim, to, um, I really liked the William Man in Black transformation. So there's just kind of two points that maybe are some good areas for discussion. But one is that the way that Major Craddock acts with Lawrence's wife really mirrors, um, and of course I didn't write the episode down because I'm an idiot, but how um, the Man in Black acted with her in season one. You know, like down to the same language and the same actions. And this time he can't handle it. Uh, and of course, you know, ultimately does a quote unquote, uh, good deed by destroying her and, and saving Lawrence. 
um, thoughts as to kind of what prompted him to react to it negatively? Do you think he sees himself in that character and is trying to deal with it? Like, what makes him take yeah. that move? I felt like it was a really interesting sort of like... Um, there were a number of like symbolic, I think, phrases that were used. And um, the big one that I'm thinking of, and I don't have it written down verbatim, but it's when Jim Delos says is like, they say there are two fathers, one above and one below, but there's only the one below. And when you stare up, it's just a mirror, like smiling back at you or something like that, which really yeah. kind of like made me think about um, William's conversation, young William's conversation with Dolores, when he says that the park is not about the hosts, it's about the guests and that the hosts and the park and the way that they behave there it's all just a mirror um and then how that connects with what I was saying last episode about how I think that the man in black ultimately resents the park for creating people in this image of their like darkest desires and without any inhibition exactly because there are no consequences and um so all of that I think is kind of interconnected in terms of what this park does to people the way that people behave when there are no checks and balances of society the way that potentially the man in black is thinking about people behaving if there are no consequences like death um, if they follow through with the ability to um, put human consciousness in host bodies that is making him reconsider whether or not he wants to pursue this. So I know that that's sort of like a really, there's a lot of like grand themes that I'm raising here um, to like a relatively straightforward question about whether or not he sees his own behavior in Craddock's. So I think that the answer is yes, he definitely does see his own behavior. And at the same time, he sees the bigger picture of like what this technology, what the absence of uh, consequence does to a person and like creates this like devil version of themselves where uh, if given the opportunity, everyone goes bad or something. You know what I mean? It's like, um, I think it's all kind of wrapped up together. I think that's a really great point. You're right. Like this idea, we always refer to, you know, working towards immortality as playing God. But I think you're right. Throughout this episode, it's, it's, it's that you're not playing God. You're, you're the devil, you're death. You know what I mean? Like all of those pieces. And, Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, seeing, I think it's right. You're right. I think a seeing how Craddock reacts when he thinks he can't die, um, yes. which, you know, is really intense. And then also, you know, choosing for choosing Craddock to put man in black characteristics and you're right, the worst of the worst in there. Right. And, uh, yeah. uh, so in season one, episode two, again, um, I actually forgot some of my notes, so they're not right in front of me. But Ford says something to the effect of, you can't play God without dancing with the devil. And that is very right. similar to a lot of what Jim Delos says, uh, where he repeats over and over that, you know, if you're going to cheat the devil, you need to give him an offering or something to that effect, right? It's right. like, um, and then tie all of that with all the religious and Jesus-like imagery that's going on throughout the season that we already talked about in uh, sort of last episode. And the idea of playing God, but, you know, being a flawed human who, uh, you know, cannot get away from your sort of baser instincts. Right. And then the other thing that's really, you know, coming through the commonality, of course, is like, 
fathers and daughters specifically. Um, we see that throughout this episode significantly. And I think the fact, you know, Lawrence has even changed for who he is to the man in black. I mean, Lawrence's ability to now remember things from previous storylines surprises William, yeah. um, but also demonstrate that Lawrence is, is changing. He remembers that William has a daughter and, um, you know, before Will Lawrence was just a pawn that, that the man in black, you know, dragged around quite horribly uh, throughout all of kind of season one. And now that's different. And the man in black is very surprised by that. That's right. You know, and it's, you're right. Cause it's like, which is funny because some hosts have consciousness and, and, and others don't. And he, uh, so it's like, almost like of who Lawrence is and he's, you know, he's been in the park for 35 years, you know, with Lawrence as a character of one kind or another. Um, and now that's a character who, you know, actually has those feelings, remembers these things. And so when he denies that Lawrence isn't a friend, I think that also strikes him um, as to how much he's impacted by seeing what he's going through and what his wife and daughter are going through as well. So I really like that. And so maybe, um, you know, talking about William's transformation, Kim, you also pointed out that Ed Harris had said that he thought that this was a bit of a redemptive season in the opposite direction, we see William change throughout his interactions with Jim Delos. Um, you know, we've spoken about the physical transformation between the two actors, but he also goes from what is kind of, you know, relatively patient uh, in that first iteration um, to, you know, really ultimately blunt and cruel watching that breakdown at the end. What are your thoughts there? And what does that mean for kind of who the man in black became before he went yeah. to I mean, so ultimately in kind of a, um, in a related way to what I just sort of broke down, um, was I think that Jim Delos is the sacrifice that he keeps talking about that when you're dealing with the devil, you have to make an offering. And I think that, uh, from the very beginning, honestly, I think that William did not have the level of reverence that maybe we thought that he did for Jim Delos. I, I don't know. It's mm -hmm. like, um, I think that you're right. The sort of patience has run out at the end, but I do feel like all along there was something, even from that very first visit that we saw when William leaves the room and he kind of adjusts his expression or something after leaving that, I think that there was a level of disdain there all along. Um, but I think that the real transformation comes not in his opinion of Jim Delos and who he is as a person, but it comes in his opinion changing about the nature of the project itself. And like, I do think that he felt at the beginning that this was like a worthy endeavor and whether or not Jim Delos was the one uh, to live forever I have my doubts actually whether William ever would have like f truly let him uh sort of just come out of that room and resume his I life I agree yeah I think that's a great point yeah yeah but uh but yeah I think that yeah even from the very beginning that level of kind of disdain or whatever for for Jim Dallas was there but it was like the actual nature of the project of like allowing a human person to live forever is what changed over the course of those visits. What do you think? Yeah, I think that that's, um, that's a really great point. And I actually, I love, I especially struck me the second watch I did, but there's a point when Ed Harris as the man in black says at the end, you know, I'm something along the lines of I'm rethinking the entire enterprise or I don't believe in the entire enterprise. And I, you know, 
I first time I heard it, it was like around the enterprise of, you know, this specific project, but I read it almost as bigger than that, which right. is like what Delos is trying to do, period. You know, I don't right. think I believe in the, the entire um, company. Yeah. yeah, the park, the company, the side projects, the whatever. Um, I agree. You know, this biology company that went from probably researching pharmaceuticals to creating life, um, which is quite something. And, and I think that that also takes it takes age and distance. This is why I, I love Ed Harris's character because he, you really believe this is a guy who a has been through like a lot of shit and like B has actually is starting to learn, you know, something from that um, and draw something from it. And that that's, it takes that distance for him to kind of like understand it. Um, so, and I also just like, this is super, super aside, but don't you find him like, he's like such a sharpshooter. It's so impressive. Like that you forget there's some great, truly wild West scenes in this episode in, oh, the, yeah. you know, in Lawrence's town. And I love that like, he has to be taking apart his gun for them to be overpowered at all. Like when he started taking apart his gun, I was like, what are you doing? Like, like don't do that. It's like that. This is what, what I, I mean, <laughs> he was playing that out. Like he has, you know, a hundred times before, like nothing has changed. You're right. I really kind Sits of down. feel yep. like the man in black has somehow not fully grasped what's happening in terms of the what changes in the park. Yeah. Because he was surprised by Lawrence remembering that he had a daughter and that is surprising. I mean, like Lawrence doesn't have any other memories. So, you know, like there is that, but then, yeah, I agree in the scene that I was like, what are you doing? Don't take your gun apart. (laughs) He was expecting the bartender to react exactly the way he always has before. It's like, I do feel like he's getting the difference now, but, um, yeah, the, the laws are not the same anymore. And I love his reaction to when he finds out that Dolores is behind why there's basically no confederados left at all. And he's like, good for her. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, so one other thing I really did want to chat about uh, that I have notes on here is Ghost Nation. Um, so I don't know how to fully like break into this discussion other than I would say Ghost Nation has been very peripheral to these both seasons so far. But I liked, I thought that there was kind of some big advancements here uh, in this episode. Um, and I specifically liked Emily pointing out that their narratives don't get attention paid to them. And I think that there is like a whole underlying, um, you know, there's been some criticism of Westworld having kind of an indigenous population. So kind of like arguably heavily caricatured in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's, you know, it's a bit of a, a tricky like thing to talk through, but I do like that she points out that like most people don't talk, pay attention to their narratives. And then I think it's really meaningful that Stubbs who works in security can't converse with these characters um, because he doesn't speak the language. Um, And it just kind of seems like they just existed and were maybe kind of like window dressing. But then uh, there is a few theories out there that they possibly achieved consciousness or recognition earlier and then they just didn't get enough attention paid to them that anyone really paid attention to it. I mean, we know there's that doll. Remember how they have like the the like they pay attention to the child who brings in the doll and like they have kind of a way of recognizing who the guests are from season one yeah um there's like there's pieces of how they have had far and away better kind of understandings of what's happening in addition to them continuing to protect the guests right now so those are kind of like 
my thoughts around them, but anything to kind of add? No, I agree. So we talked about it last week, right? Where um, ultimately there, there was the, the mythology that they had in their folklore of shades and men who walk between worlds. And uh, yeah, I think that it is a very distinct possibility that they were able to essentially complete their own maze through shared storytelling or whatever that, you know, over time just resulted in an awareness and an awakening that no one else really seemed to notice. So, you know, all of that was taking place in terms of their folklore and awareness before Maeve, before Dolores, before, you know, anybody was starting to wake up. Um, That's right. So I'm wondering about um, Akichita is the name of the um, character who was with Angela who met Logan in episode two. That's right. Uh, also the one that they are taking the humans to when they say, you know, the first of us will decide. Um, So I was thinking the first of them to awaken, not like the oldest host, but like the first of them to have an awakening in terms of their self-awareness. What do you think? I think that's a great, you know, point. We know that he his character is quite old because you're right. We see them in that pitch, and that's what the oldest of the hosts. Um, and I do feel like this, and then also that quote, like "time is coming" or "something is coming," that Emily kind of half translates. I mean, I think <laughs> ask me in episode ten, it'll all make sense. Um, right, of <laughs> course. I don't think I know <laughs> right now. Like, I think it's significant, but I can't kind of pinpoint where we're going with it. But once again continue to like protect the guests and or humans. Yeah, I mean I protect in a way. I don't know. It's like I get that yes. they are not killing the humans, but I suggested in the last uh podcast that they revered them in some way, which does not seem to be the case. That does feel like it's that's right. Yeah. But <laughs> but they could be a lot worse. You know, we're seeing mm-hmm. some pretty um like awful things happen to humans and our yeah, guys are are, you know, yeah, are not dead. And I just like Stubbs does not come across as the, the greatest head of security of all time. Right. So just wait like, for help, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> um, There's an evacuation procedure. We're going to be fine. Yeah. So could I ask, what are your thoughts on Akichita telling Stubbs in, you know, in English that you're only as yes. old as the last person who remembers you. And then in a very quick scene after that, I'm not sure if it immediately follows it, but it's not too long afterwards that we have the scene of uh, William and Jim Delos, where William tells him that his entire family is dead, uh, that, you know, his wife is dead, his daughter committed suicide and Logan died of an overdose. Uh, and I didn't know if those two things were connected in some way, but either way, I'm curious about what your thoughts are of the meaning of that phrase that Akichita said to Stubbs. Yeah, so you only live as long as the last person who remembers you. Is that what it is? Like it's like yeah, basically like when that. no one remembers you anymore, you're not you're not alive anymore. I I just think that that well, okay. So I think a great example of that is Arnold. Um, not that Arnold Bernard is the same thing because we don't think it is um but like like if they brought Jim Dellis back like no one knows who he is now uh and of course he's the same age as William or possibly younger or older but you know what I mean like 
Um, and so I think that is really powerful and definitely related. So you're talking about immortality, but what does it matter if your body has lived and nobody, everything else that invo- is involved in your life is not there? You know right. what I mean? Like yes, your networks, your family, like when he's like, and especially powerful when he's like, I'm going to, uh, you know, go back to my house, get on my boat, fuck my wife, do whatever. Like, like nothing has happened. And it's right. like, you'll never be able to do that again. You, you're, that's not what immortality here is going to be. And of course, even if it were, so say it had worked on the first iteration, he would watch everybody die. Like you'd, he, what, outlive yeah. everybody? Like, right. I mean, that also seems so, okay. Sorry. Can I tack a question onto that? Do you have any ideas as to why you think Dallas's consciousness doesn't work? Like, why can't they get that to work? No, so I I don't know, except I have sort of a wild tinfoil hat theory that's just coming to me right now. That it's like, okay, sorry, let me talk this out really quick. Okay, so I don't necessarily know. Yeah. I don't know why Jim Delos's consciousness doesn't stick, except that William says that it is rejecting reality. And then with Akichita saying you're only as you only live as long as the people who remember you. Okay, tinfoil hat theory is what if there are other people living in hosts like human consciousness in hosts, but they have not been confronted with their reality. They're not living their own storyline. They don't have their own memories at this point because they haven't figured out how to make it stick so if they if nobody remembers them and they have no memories then ultimately how can they they're not even the same person they you know they may as well just be like um any Mm -hmm. random host right um I don't know like maybe there's something there's something to that effect like I think that there's the potential that there are some of these chestnuts in existing hosts somewhere even though um, they have not sort of figured out the the glitches just yet either that or ford has been able to successfully like figure out these like we know that ford is aware of this um project even though it seems like they were trying to do it in secret because bernard printed out a control unit so I know that that does not answer your question. I have no idea why it doesn't work, but I think that despite no. the f- despite the fact that Jim Delos wasn't actually like a functioning unit, I think there are some out there somewhere either functioning because Ford made them function or they're like sleeper cells waiting to be activated um, once the technology catches up or something like that. I, I think that those are, yeah, I, though like if you're, you're consciousness without your memories, then what are you really like? You know, it's, it feels like those would be really important to be who you are. But I do feel like there's something about, you know, confronting with reality. Like it seems to be when William arrives that he really degrades every time. Like I was kind of like, yes. what if, I mean, I guess you can't not have him react with William, but it's like, even to go back to your earlier point about William seeming not fully trustworthy when he was like, the, the experiment should be conducted with someone that you, you know, know and trust. And I was like, is William really the best person to be doing this you know he kind of self-selected but like what if Delos had been having a conversation with Juliet about you know all of these things and it would be better at kind of computing um but it does seem to fall apart like even the you know the little helper person who like works outside the office who changes regularly was like 
like he was doing fine right now yeah he's completely degraded again <laughs> like what's going on so yeah i don't know is it a yeah like do you think that there's the possible i mean like we saw a bunch of chestnuts in this episode which i thought were like snow cones at yeah. first like bloody snow cones um so totally yeah like i mean what do they keep making them for if they're not implanting them into hosts and why are they implanting them into host bodies if there is absolutely no chance that they're going to be able to function so i think that either they are functioning or it's like they're laying in wait for something but like i mean Bernard has one of these things. He put it somewhere. Uh, why would Ford go and make him print it out if none of them worked? Like, there is right. something that has to be um, different about those ones, either before bet- because Ford figured it out or because they have not been confronted with the reality yet that is going to cause them to degrade. Which maybe Bernard is actually Arnold. He has been confronted with it. And a lot of that stuff that's taking place in the current timeline in terms of a lapse of memory, inability to answer questions, whatever, is because he's not Bernard and he's currently being confronted with his own reality. That's a good theory. That is not mine, that's but it is a very, good one. <laughs> that's right. It is a good um, one. It is a good one. Okay, a couple of other quick Reddit theories that I wanted to throw it out there, but we don't have to discuss at length is just, I saw a lot of people wondering about the the flashes of the bathtub, which we assumed was Juliet's suicide that the man in black was having when he was, um, you know, having his standoff yeah. or about to have a standoff with Craddock. And um, in the previously on Westworld, it was they reminded us specifically that she took pills as her method of suicide. And a lot of people were saying that the like the water looked bloody in this tub, like she had slit her wrists. Uh, so the theory is that that was not uh, Juliet's suicide that he was flashing to that Emily is actually dead and that the um, man in black's daughter in the park who was billed in the credits as Grace last episode is in fact a host. Any any merit given to that theory in your opinion? That is a crazy, crazy intense theory. I mean, the discrepancy between the way of dying because it definitely in this episode made it look like she slit her wrists and of course there was a real water bathtub theme in that scene where he was flashing back that was really like powerful but I just I don't know I thought it I think it's stronger if it's Juliet's suicide because it came at such a poignant moment in the episode which is also related to his decision to do the right thing like so I guess I don't understand the discrepancy though unless he was being well, untruthful about the pills, but I watched it very carefully, and uh, definitely it appears as though the water is red. Um, but the water splashing over the edge is it it it's appears clear. to be clear. So unless it's a red bathtub, which is kind of like a real, it's a really like distinct choice that couldn't have been an accident. I don't think, but like yeah. Uh, I don't know. I agree that I think that it makes more sense to me that it's Juliet. I don't uh, necessarily love the idea that the man in black's both wife and daughter committed suicide, but he's only ever <laughs> spoken about his wife's. It's, you know, and then is, yeah. does he know that Grace is a host or I don't know. It's an interesting theory though. One that I think that I'll be keeping my, you know, my eye on as we see more of 
Emily slash Grace. Um, and then the, uh, the only other theory that I had written down that we hadn't talked about yet was that the potential that the man in black is actually dead. He has been dead the whole time and that the entire game, the maze, the mission, the game that he's playing now affords is intended to be this slow burn reveal that avoids the kind of all at once type of, um, you know, reality check that Jim Delos gets that causes him to malfunction. So this is supposed to, you know, reveal to him his true nature without causing that kind of breakdown. Yeah, I can see how we're on the road to that reveal happening somewhere. I like the idea that the consciousness is actually young William better, but I think that there's been a lot of, if, if I'm not sure that this is how it's going to come out related to those things, but I think that all of those things you just mentioned are going to come out and play out in some other way. You know what I mean? That that's very vague, but like, yeah, I like where this is going. I just don't know if I fully buy into that kind of, I don't buy you know, into that, that one final either. piece, which is that Williams did. Yeah. 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 That's not my theory of preference, but somebody is going to, you know, someone's consciousness is going to have been uploaded somewhere. Um, and the fact that we saw how it, fail to work in Delos is definitely going to be you know really important whether it's how it was revealed to him whether it's you know other issues that got solved I don't know but there's no way that we're not going to see all of that come back to play again so yeah yeah. absolutely and then the very last thing that I noted in my notes was um, like last week I uh, just looked up the meaning of the title in this one many people did so yes. uh, you might have uh, heard this already but um, the riddle of the Sphinx is ultimately which creature has one voice yet becomes four footed then two footed then three footed and the answer is uh, a human a a man uh, who uh, crawls and then walks and then walks with a cane as they age. So uh, ultimately I felt like this was just maybe a commentary on the agelessness of the, um, you know, host bodies and whether or not it changes like who you are as a human, if you never, are born and you know grow up and grow old and then die um I don't know is there anything kind of more different to that that you were thinking of I think that's bang on I think that hosts don't go through either the four-footed or three-footed stage unless they're kid hosts you know what I mean like it's yeah by skipping two out of three can you really be considered a human you know is major Craddock you know cheating death he's he's not at all he's fully like susceptible to it that whole like immortality thing right if you don't end up going through aging and dying um and if you're not afraid of going through aging and dying i think you're you're so right kim like if suddenly we all became immortal this place would be a shit show like exactly (laughs) and it's like disaster so we know that the hosts are kind of like a species of their own dolores has made several comments where she very distinctly differentiates between 
um, humans mm-hmm. as a people and hosts as a people, right? But there is no distinction, I don't think, and I think that this is what it's related to, if the humans then you know, take on the same quote unquote hardware of the hosts. Well, then we know that the hosts are not human. They don't go through the four legged and the three legged stage, as you mentioned. But then like there is no differentiator between the hosts and the humans. The humans essentially, you know, no longer become human. They become something else if they can never die. And they have, you know, I think that, yeah, it's it's all related to that. It doesn't necessarily mean that the hosts are less, you know, are less than or not sentient or not, you know, um, deserving of uh, better treatment than what we've had so far, which I know we've talked about at length and whatever, but it does make, they are different. They're not, you know, a born human who lives out their life and then dies of old age, you know? Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's all blurring and blending. And I think, you know, before (laughs) long, we are going to find out some of the people, some more of the people besides Bernard, who we thought were human are in fact hosts, but different than Bernard, they will be people who have lived a life before and have their human consciousness uploaded. Like, I think we know some of them already and they just haven't been revealed to us yet. So like, I can't wait. Uh, okay. Well, this was a, as we mentioned, supersized episode with lots going on. It was an excellent one. And Kim, I'm very excited with where we got with our <laughs> numerous theories that we had to tackle in this one. So I know um, there's so much, I feel like again, we guys. barely scratched the surface. There's going to be so many more coming out, but I'm really excited to read about them yeah. all. If you guys have any that we missed, please let us know at kjrecaps.com slash feedback. Yeah. So we will be back uh, next week with episode five, halfway through um, the season. So Kim, I look forward to that. And thanks again, guys. Me too. Thanks, Jess. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye.